for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions, he had given them much encouragement and he came to Greece. Your prerequisite number one is encouragement is essential to the ministry. I'm going to give you kind of a brief theology of encouragement. Uh, Who doesn't need God-glorifying, Bible-centered encouragement, right? To encourage is to instill instill in someone courage or cheer or exhortation. This word, as it's used in verse 1 and verse 2, encouraging and encouragement is the exact same word that's used for the Holy Spirit, the parakletos. And so that is the the noun version. The verb is this word we get, encouragement. And so encouragement comes from God, empowered by the Spirit. And you and I are to be encouragers of one another. Now, when you serve somebody, uh, that's helpful. Those are your works. But encouragement comes primarily through our words, and we use 25,000 of them a day. And so I wanted to show you, are we having some trouble with the verses back there? Because I wanted to show you Ephesians 4.29. Is it up on the... Because I can see what's back there right here. There we go. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You get four things from that. Our words must be free from impurity. No corrupting talk. Our words must be used to edify. This is the idea of encouragement to build people up. Are we building people up with our words? Are we tearing them down with our words? Our words need to be appropriate as fits the occasion. I often use the illustration. If she's not serving in the nursery like she is today, my wife sits there. And it may be true that I look good to her. It may be uh, kind that she could say that. But does it fit the occasion to yell out, Honey, you look good? Woo-woo! Probably not. I'll just say, hold that for later, baby. Thank you very much. So it needs to fit the occasion, and it gives grace to those who hear. It's purposeful. We need to come alongside others just like the Holy Spirit comes and helps and we need to encourage them to instill courage and to cheer and exhort them to greater things. This is not flattery, which involves hidden motives. This is recognizing the signs of grace in someone's life and cheering them on in this race of life. Are you encouraged? Who's encouraging you? And who are you encouraging? It's prerequisite number one. Number two, three through six, we get... There he spent three months. He's in Greece. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. This is one you have to practice, verse 4. Sopater, the Berean, the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him along with the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. I need encouragement and saying those names. And they, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. Now, you may think, well, that's just Paul's itinerary. What little insight do you get from that? Prerequisite number two, if you're going to do anything in leadership. Partners are a prerequisite in ministry. Partners. Have you ever heard of Sopater? Have you heard? Have you ever heard of a book? You, you get all these books. You know, I love these books too. Uh, Chuck Swindoll 
had a series where he walked through Moses and David and Esther, and he just walked, and they're just great books to read. They encourage your soul. Not one was done on Sopater. I don't understand. Or maybe Trophimus. Where's the, where's the book on Troph? It's because Paul is showing you these guys are forever enshrined in Scripture that some of his partners are, are known names. They're the unsung heroes of the faith. I, I ran across two this week in my own personal reading. Look at this in First Chronicles 11. This is the account of David's mighty men. When was the last time you've heard a sermon on Jeshobim, the Hakamite? He was the chief of the three. David had mighty men, and there were three that were closest to them. This is the chief, and you've never heard anything on him because he's an unsung hero of the faith. Or how about this? I had Jim read from 2 Peter. You hear a lot about Peter. Have you ever heard about where Peter came from or who actually witnessed to Peter? Look at John 1, 41. He, that is Andrew. Ever heard anything on Andrew? No books on Andrew. He, Andrew, found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought to him Jesus. Jesus looked at Simon and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, the rock. And so here you get in this list people that you... It's hard to pronounce their names. We sometimes skim right over it and we wonder why would God ever include them in there? And you see that you and I need unsung heroes. We need people to run with us in this race of life. And so in verse 7, he spends a week at Troas. On the first day of the week, when we had gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart. On the next day, he prolonged his speech. I love this. This is a great Verse for pastors, until midnight. Night services are biblical. And so I want to apply this today. And I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Eagle Bible Church. It's 1045. We're going to cut out here in about an hour or two. Get some food. and then, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But notice Paul went on. He was, he, Paul had a lot to say. There were many lamps in the upper room where, they, where we were gathered. This idea, Luke's here. And uh, that verse isn't just in there for interior decorating. It's to set the context. It was warm. It was cozy. Look what happens next. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window. Apparently it had gotten hot. They had, he was sitting in the window. Get that breeze coming through. He sank into a deep sleep. Don't do that. This is, don't apply that today during this sermon. As Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Whoa. But Paul went down. That's a good reason to stop your sermon. If people fall out of windows and die, you ought to stop and go check it out. Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms, much like Elijah or Elisha did, he said, don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. Not only did he go till midnight, Paul pulled an all-nighter. He pulled an all-nighter in the scriptures, and they, and then he departed. And look what happened from the all-nighter, verse 12. And they took the youth away alive, and there was not, they were not a little comforted. Okay, so from 7 through 12, here's what this 
text does not mean. It doesn't mean you only stop your sermon when someone dies. It doesn't mean don't fall asleep in church. But what he's showing you, even it's not even um, exalted, but Paul did a miracle there. He went over and much like Elijah and Elisha took the boy's life. He brought him back. He resuscitated him. But I don't want you to miss something. Look at that back at that verse. On the first day of the week, they were gathered around the word and they had taken the Lord's Supper. And so go back there to three things we can learn about the Lord's Day. Number one, it is Sunday as opposed to Saturday. You could go to 1 Corinthians 16.2. You could go to Revelation 1.10. Here, F.F. Bruce says, here's the earliest unambiguous evidence that we participate in the Lord's Day on a Sunday. And that the other issue is that the sermon was central. This is why we have a pulpit. The cross of Jesus Christ is on it. We set the Word of God on it, and we speak of nothing but the Word of God here. You don't see me bringing up books, how-to books, and only twice. You're getting it here today. Will we do lists? But I think the list is necessary today. And finally, the Lord's Supper as a celebration. It is an essential element. Paul would go on and later write in Corinthians, as often as you will, we here at Eagle Bible Church celebrate it every week. We may do something different in 2016. Who knows? Jim, Ben, and I will pray over it and see. Try something different. But what's essential is you have it on a Sunday, you have a sermon, and you have the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And then in 13 through 16 is the last part of his itinerary. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard here, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we, he took him aboard and went to Mytilene and sailing from there. We came the following day opposite Chios, and the next day he, we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. Well, what, did he not like being with the Ephesians? No, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Paul had a specific desire. Paul had a specific desire. He wanted to get to Pentecost and be there in Jerusalem. And so here we start in 17 through 38. Here are 10 things you and I need to learn about leadership. This is certainly applies to anyone in a position of leadership. It definitely applies to anyone interested in the ministry of being an elder or a pastor. There you see the map of where Paul went on his third missionary journey. And if you follow the arrows, you see all the places he touched down, Malta, Samos, Ephesus, Mytilene, Troas. But he didn't want to go back to Ephesus. And I think that brings us to 17, and I'll show you why here in a second. Now, from Miletus, he set to Ephesus and called the elders, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So here he is at Miletus. He, he sends word, hey, have the elders of Ephesus come. I want to visit with them. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And so this brings us to our first principle. We have all these places Paul went, but he stopped here and he drew the elders of Ephesus in. And here's the first principle. Know this, your circle of concern, all that map that we just saw, will always be bigger than your circle of influence. You and I cannot serve others without setting priorities. That's lesson number one. If you don't set it priorities, if you try to be all things to all people, you will be nothing to anyone. 
Jesus did this same thing in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35, Jesus did this same thing. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him were searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now, this is Jesus. And he said to them, Let us go into the next towns. He didn't say, Oh, everybody's looking for me? Well, let's please everybody. He said, Let's go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus was terrifically busy with which the things he was supposed to be doing. And he left one mission for another, and he left certain things undone. He was involved in the important, not always the urgent. We call this mission creep. That if you just creep off the mission just a little bit, the next thing you know, Um, You're doing a bunch of stuff that does not matter in the name of trying to please everybody. And so Paul wasn't there to please everybody. He wasn't going to go back to Ephesus. I'm sure he created in those three years wonderful relationships, but he wanted to get somewhere. And so he took a little detour. He called the elders in. First lesson, your circle of influence is always bigger than your circle of concern. Here's a practical example. We're reading through David Platt's book, um, counterculture, nine things in there. If we, have, if we as a church at our size tried to conquer all nine things to the same extent, we would do no good. Perhaps we ought to pray through and see if there's one of those things we can do. But we can't do all nine. Our circle. Does that mean we don't care about whatever issue? No. It just means our circle of concern is bigger than our circle of influence, and that's okay. Jesus did it. Paul did it. We can do it too. Number two. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. Impart on them your life as well as the gospel. Paul would go on to say it like this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 and 9. Not only did I impart on you the gospel, so being so affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you had become very dear to us. A wise man once told me, they will forget everything you teach them. Well, not everything. They will forget most of what you teach them, but they will never forget the time you spent with them. And that time is breeded with quantity time. Quantity time breeds quality time. We don't sit that, there's a misnomer out there, well, I give quality time. You don't get quality time unless you get quantity time, period. I spend quantity time with my kids, and every now and then there is a teaching moment. But it's, it's because I spend quantity time with them. Paul lived among them. The people understood these men who were leading in this book of Acts had been with Jesus. Acts 4.13. You see that in Acts 4.13, where... Uh, Luke is writing, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Paul's doing nothing but just modeling what his Savior did. Jesus lived among his people. And so lesson number two, if you ever want to be in the ministry, if you want to be a good leader, is this. Don't just give them the good news. Don't just give them your message. You have to give them your life. You have to give them your life. I had a guy come up to me beforehand. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Whatever you want to do. What time do you want to meet? 
then we're going to meet. Because it's not just enough to preach from the pulpit. You get into a coffee shop, you open your Bible, and you talk and you walk with people through life. Number three, verse 19, not only did he live his life among you, he described it. Serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And so lesson number three is this. Not only do you live life with people, but you live life as a servant. A servant, one who sacrifices, one who gives. You consider others more important than yourself. And it takes humility and it will be painful. That's what Paul said, with all humility. I'm, he was the apostle. He was the big A guy. He was that apostle. He could have gone, you know, all I do is teach and people fall out of windows. But that's not what he did. He lived his life with them. He cried with them. He went through trials because there were enemies against him. Trust me, if you want to be in the ministry, it is humbling and it is painful. Been there, done that. I'm sure it will continue to happen. It is so humbling. Just today, we were doing a membership class, just giving a brief history of the church. And I said, the first three years that were, were the best. I wouldn't wish them on anyone, but it was the most humbling and growing time of my life. And it was painful. It was painful. So you learn that in seminary, you read it in some book, and then you're like, yeah, yeah, but you shouldn't, you should see me with people. You should see me with the word of God. And then God just smiles and says, Mr. Rumley, it's your turn. And it's humbling and it's painful and it's worth every minute. Live a life of a servant. My pastor back home says, everybody wants to be a servant. Nobody wants to be treated like one. Verse 20. How did I not how I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable? Some things aren't profitable. Bible code, you can come to me with your Bible code book. I'm not going to even have you read the Bible code? No, and I'm probably not because it's not profitable. But if you look backwards through the Hebrew, it says Obama, I don't care. It's not profitable. Teaching you what's what is profitable and teaching you where? In public and from house to house. There's a public ministry and there's a private ministry. Testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks. You talk to anyone and everyone about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is the good news. You must repent. You must change your mind. You must come to a point where you do a 180. And I was heading down this road and I did a 180. And you turn around and you go the other direction. Or if you're like one of my friends, you're going down this road and you just hit reverse in your truck and you go. Today I was forgot my phone and the iPad mini and I went in reverse and the kids were like, oh, this is so fun. Let's just keep going in reverse. And I said, well, you need to ask this gentleman about going in reverse. Why? Why do I need? I said, because his whole life changed. He was literally heading down a road and he repented. Because his truck was broken, he had to go in reverse. And the guy in the truck with him was telling him, you need to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's in the truck. He's going in reverse. And he's like, makes sense. He repented, literally, in a truck. It's funny. You should laugh. And he had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed that Jesus Christ was the perfect God-man who died for him. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of God. And he said, all my sins are covered. And so... Not only do you, uh, your circle of influence is bigger than your circle of concern. Not only do you impart on them your life. Not only do you live the life of a servant. But the fourth thing is, you give them the Bible. You give them the Bible. 
It's not enough to give them just manhood issues or womanhood issues. You give them the scriptures. You're as Spurgeon called Bunyan Biblin or Biblin, that everything he talked, scripture just flows. That you should know the scriptures well enough if you're going to lead in any sort of ministerial capacity that you know verses and they just come off your lips. That means if you're a parent, you should know verses and they just come off your lips. If you're in the business world, you should know verses and they should just come off your lips. As a servant, give them the Bible. This is the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. And now I'm going to skip a little bit. If you're following along in your Bible, I'm actually going to put 33 through 35 here next because I think it fits. Paul said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So what do you get from those three verses? I get this fifth lesson. Number one, be hardworking and above reproach. Paul would say, it's not up there. Paul would say in another um, letter, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I worked harder than any of them, but only by the grace of God that goes with me. His hard work was bookended by the grace of God. Paul said, I worked hard, and I, I in this particular context, fulfilled my own needs in, in providing my own way. That doesn't necessarily mean that he always provided his own way. In Ephesus and Corinth, he did. This doesn't mean you have to be a bivocational pastor. Where do I get that? 1 Corinthians 9.14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. What it does mean is that pastors, leaders are not in the good news ministry for money. I watched a, a show mock health and wealth pastors this week. And the show was a bit out of bounds, but they hit on the key issues. And they were just like, how can these people do what they do in the name of Jesus set up companies, and they have Lear jets. I'm not kidding you. Some guys have Lear jets, and they showed video of a guy from the pulpit. Beware, gentlemen, who you are, said, God blesses me so I can have this Lear jet from the pulpit. I mean, they go so far, I don't understand... I'm going to do it because Paul did it. Paul called out certain guys in Timothy and Colossians. because. But if your name is Creflo Dollar, you don't want to be a health and wealth preacher. You don't. Creflo Dollar? I mean, that's just bad. But they have Lear jets. What Paul's saying here is I worked my tail end off and I, didn't, I was above reproach when it came to money. And so I try to be as well. You show up yesterday... At a golf tournament, just pull out your credit card, pay for it. Trust God's going to take care of it. You don't sit there and try to mooch off the people. If they want to buy you a burger, praise God for them. But you work hard and you're above reproach. Understand that if you're going into the ministry. And so Paul dealt with his, um, his present service to the Ephesian elders. Now he's going to deal with the future suffering. 
And now, verse 22, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. The constrained by the Spirit of 22 is held together by the Holy Spirit testifies to me. Paul understood everywhere he goes, he's going to face persecution. Dr. Mark Dever said at a shepherd conference one time, I'm tired of young pastors coming up to me talking about what would it be like um, for my wife in ministry and, and talking about all, will it be comfortable? Dever said, are you willing to tell your wife what will it be like if I go to jail in the name of the gospel? And the whole place was quiet. And I came home and said, baby, are you ready? Because I may go to jail. I may from the Word of God, preach the Word of God as it sits, and I may go to jail. Are you ready for that? Because here's your sixth principle. If you're going to be a leader in any capacity, especially a pastor, accept the fact that the position will come with persecution. You're going to be a pastor and an elder, understand you're going to be persecuted. And there's two ways, there's two ways to avoid persecution. This came across my desk last week. The first way to avoid persecution is to live outside the world. That is, to be a separatist, to seclude yourself away from it. The second way is to live in the world, but to remain like the world, and that nothing, you're so similar to the world that nothing stands out. And so John Stott says this, The first group escapes persecution by withdrawing from the world the second group by becoming assimilated to the world. It's that simple. But understand this. If you're going to be a leader, you will get persecuted, and you're going to take a stand for certain things, and people are going to disagree with you, and you better. I'm just telling you now, so you're not going to read it in a book. Trust me, if you want to be in the ministry, you will be persecuted. And all of you, 1 Timothy 12 says, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. If you take a stand on certain big issues of the day, I assure you, it may not come in the form of beatings. It may not come in the form of uh, serving time in a jail cell, but people will persecute you. They will think you are weird. It's just a part of the deal. Got it? It's part of it. That's where our church is headed. It's more like Acts than it used to be. If we stand up for the truth, we're going to be persecuted. Verse 24. But I don't count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry. Paul said it later on in another letter, I have run the race. I have finished the race. I've run. I've fought the good fight. He can say that because he was willing to say this, that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In verse 25, and now behold, I know that none among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Because they weren't going to see his face again, here's what he says to them. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. That doesn't mean that Paul was involved in physical aspects of the blood of all. He's using Ezekiel 3 language based on the next verse, I was a watchman for you. Verse 27, For I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Paul declared to them the whole counsel of God. Different people interpret this different ways. 
It does not necessarily mean that you have to go from Genesis to Revelation and if you're going to be a pastor to teach through that. Though that is my conviction. That is my goal in life is from the very, this pulpit is to teach everything. To, not necessarily in a row, but to teach everything. Other men have done it other ways. They've spent other, one of my favorites, MacArthur, spent 42 years walking through Matthew through Revelation. It took him 42 years. And I'm the better because he did it. But he gave the whole counsel because he, he told the whole story of scriptures while he did that. So it's not necessarily the method with which you preach, but it's about giving people the big picture of scripture, not riding ho- hobby horses. If you came in here every week and every week all you heard was some idea, my pet idea about ministry, that would not be helpful to you. It is about giving them the big picture of Scripture and not avoiding the sticky passages. Hey, we're going to read through Romans, but when we get to Romans 9 through 11, let's just do a little jumpsy because then you have to deal with election and predestination in Israel, and that's just tough. I can summarize 9 through 11 in about one sentence and move on. You don't do that. In fact, we got the very next verse in this passage is a tough one in this passage. And so if you're going to give people the whole counsel of God, you don't shy away from anything. You handle every issue. Some issues are more important than others. And so give them the big picture of Scripture. Verse 28, here's, we get the first part of it's not hard. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Here's the eighth principle. Earn credibility through character. You may have the most wonderful pulpit presence. You may be a very articulate person in your leadership wherever you lead. But if you don't have character, you've got nothing. Nathan, nada. Earn credibility through character. It's not up there, but one of the most convicting and one of the most comforting verses for me personally as your pastor is 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, that I have two things to do. How am I doing? Am I progressing in holiness? If I'm not progressing in holiness, one piper has said, your progression in holiness is what your people need to see. Am I progressing in holiness and am I persisting in the teaching? You have to have character. No character, no leadership. And here's the sticky part. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. What kind of church? The church which he obtained with his own blood. And so, with 1 Timothy 4.16, I'm to watch over Jim, Ben, leaders, to watch over your own soul. You're to watch over the teaching, and you're to care for the flock. Pay attention to yourself. How's it going in the flock? And you've got to know your flock. That's why Paul lived among them. And what kind of flock is this? This is a flock that we oversee to care for the church of God, to show compassion and love. And it's the church which was obtained with Jesus' own blood. The church which Jesus obtained with his own blood. So if Jesus obtained the flock with his own blood, that means there are some out there that he did not obtain with his own blood. 
That means to some degree, the cross is limited. That atonement is limited. Oh, but wait, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, I know that verse. That Jesus Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for all, but it is efficient only for those who are part of the church of God. So you can't, you can't just brush over that text like, well, we'll just get to that some other time. That's in there. And number nine, why is that in there? I think number nine is this. Sense the seriousness of your shepherding. Be you a parent, be you a leader over an organization, be you a leader, an elder in this church. Sense the seriousness of your shepherding. God values his people. He died for people. He didn't die for possibilities. He died for people, and he cares for his people. And God values his word. God values his word, and so we need to be serious. There's a seriousness. That doesn't mean we're stoic, and we just stand up here, and we're so stiff. Welcome to Eagle Bible Church. We preach through the Bible. We take communion. We sing songs. Have a good day. We tap our toes to sweetly broken, don't we? Because we understand sweetly broken. Oh, isn't that a great, great summary of every single person in here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ? Whether it was a gentle breaking through the obedience that you saw and your parents led you and there was, there was, uh, there was not a whole lot of, of chaos in your life and the Lord by His grace and for His glory like my wife just led you to Himself gently. Or if it's in my case or some of your other cases where God had to get you going in reverse in a truck, knock you out of your Jeep, or to have you argue with him in the middle of Dallas, Texas. Not so gentle, but it's a sweet brokenness. It's a sweet brokenness. And God cares for his people and God cares for his word. And so we must be serious if we're going to lead. Why? How do I know he cares for his word? Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, look at the language Luke uses here. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, Paul had a sense that what was coming from those Ephesian elders themselves will arise men speaking twisted things. Fierce wolves, twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. They will say it in such a way that it sounds so good. Talking to a young man this week who works at a school in this valley, and there's an issue that has arisen, and he's trying to take a biblical stance, and everybody's appealing, but doesn't God love said person who follows their desires and wants to be with the same sex? Doesn't God love them too? Oh, and he does. But trying to make it sound so good and they twist the doctrine, they twist the truth. They're fierce wolves. What does Paul say then? Therefore, 31, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He was constantly teaching people the word. And I commend you to God and to the word of his grace the word, which is able to build up and to give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
How did this play itself out? Listen to Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus to Ephesus sometime after Paul had left. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Paul understood false teaching was coming. And so he says, take seriously your, your role. Explaining to some folks this morning, that's why we take membership seriously. It's not because we're trying to keep tabs on you and everybody's got to wear khakis and a plaid on Sundays or men, your hair has to be above the ears or shaven if you're a part of the flock or bald for some of you. That it doesn't, that's not what we're talking about, but we take real serious Hebrews 13, 7, that I and Jim and Ben and Brian Foster while he was here and Chris while he was here are on staff. He's still here. Praise the Lord. We're giving account for souls. It's that serious. I'm standing before the Lord and he says, you did good taking care of Ben Daly. Good. I want every single person. You did good. I take it that seriously. That's why we have membership. It's not because we're trying to keep locks. To, you know, put little cards out. Who's who's here today? We're taking attendance. That's a, you see me up here with a pen. Sometimes I'm like, who's here? Who's missing? Brant's haven't been here for a month. It's not why we do membership. It's because we take seriously the shepherding of the flock. And number ten. When it's time to go, leave well. So sweet what Paul does in 36. And when he had said these things, and so he gave him his, his kind of his history, his present service, his future suffering, and then um, his past service, his future suffering, his present encouragement. He said, when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. If and when the time comes that you leave, uh, when your kids, your parents and your kids are going off and, they're, and they're, you've done your duty, you're, you've taken those arrows and you're shooting them out into the world, if you're over a business or if you're a leader in a church, wherever, when it's time to go, leave well. Leave prayerful, dependent upon God. Leave prayerful. Verse 37, and there was much weeping on the part of all. Leave with tears. If and when the time should ever come, and there, and just this is in the text, so this is not. I'm not prepping you for anything. If and when the time ever comes that we leave, I just want there to be tears. Not because we're living out Acts 20 in that way. Oh, I must apply this here. Let me turn on the tears. Judd's leaving. I want my life, my wife's life, our kids' lives, every minute that we're here. We've been here almost seven years. Let's make it 21, 28, 50. But if we were to leave, there to be tears. We don't want people going, yeah, just get going. Thanks for being here. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. We don't want that. We want tears. That's why when, when, when Rhett Miller's leave, 
or when fosters leave. I'm not very good at those. I'm not good because I stand up here and I look at, I look at that dude. He's like seven foot tall or Brian Foster. I mean, he's just a walking encyclopedia of everything with a big, big heart. And you look at him, you're like, I don't want you to leave. Why are you leaving? Don't leave. But he went to be with his kids. Good for him. But I don't, I'm not very good. I'm not very eloquent. I'm not, number one, I'm not eloquent anyway. But right up here, I don't have much to say because I'm all weepy. Makes sense. There was much weeping on the part of all. And finally, they embraced Paul and kissed him. We don't have to do that. Different culture, different day. <laughs> just on the cheek, just like the cultures over there. And being sorrowful of all, most of all because the word he had spoken to them, that he had delivered to them the good news for three years, they would not see his face again. And I, I love this. If you read this too quickly, you don't get what it means. And they accompanied him to the ship. They aided him on his way. There were prayers, there were tears, and they said, how can we get you to where you're going? That is the way to leave well. Your circle of concern is greater than your circle of influence. If you're going to live with people, if you're going to be a leader, be among them. That's one of the reasons, and, and we joke about it. Um, when we first moved here, we were trying to find a place to live, and they're like, where do you want to live? I'm like, I want to be an eagle, because this is Eagle Bible Church. This isn't Gypsum Bible Church, as though some of you would want me to be in Gypsum. Love you all, GYP folks. I love it. But this is Eagle Bible Church, so I'm going to live in Eagle. How cool, how terrible would it be if, who are you, the pastor? Where, where do you live? Edwards, close to the slopes. No, my circle of concern is bigger than my circle of influence. Live among the people. Thirdly, live as a servant. Fourthly, just let Bible come out of your mouth. Just give them the word everywhere you go. Understand too, persecution is going to come. And then give them all the Bible. Don't just give them your favorite things. And you know, if any of you have been here long enough, you know I have my favorite things. But they don't come up every week. If they come up in Scripture, well, I'll address them. And then I forgot the rest of them. But you, if you took notes, they're there. If otherwise, send me, your, send me an email. I'll email it to you. Father, that wasn't a good way to land the plane, but you're sovereign. And we thank you for your grace. Thank you for these wonderful people right out here who make it a joy to lead well. I pray that myself and Jim and Ben, that we would be serious in our shepherding, that we would do it with a smile, that we would do it with the truth, Pray that lives, many lives are changed. I pray for anyone here who wants to be a leader. I pray for every parent here that they would lead with these principles. I pray for those who are in business that they would see these principles and adapt them to their circle of influence. And I pray for anyone here who wants to lead a church someday.
that they wouldn't forget Acts 20. And I pray for anyone in here today who has not repented towards God and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would do so today. That the flock for which your son died would increase today. Give us grace as we go. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. As you prepare for communion, don't be jealous of Mickey's new belt and shirt that he won at the golf tournament yesterday. Just be thinking about these things. If you're here and you know the Lord Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us and be contemplating these words from Paul. For he received from the Lord what he delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.